For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclewisville.org. Amen. Amen. Whatever Mother's Day looks like for you, we want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. I mean, there are so many different ways that God has to, to, to make people a mother, whether they do it biologically, whether they, whether they become mothers um, by, by adoption, whether they become mothers by mentoring someone else, taking just an, an active, loving interest uh, in, in a child that may not have uh, a mom of their own. We know that, that God is working in each and every way that, uh, that, you, uh, that you ladies uh, step out and give of yourself uh, in, in motherhood. And we thank you for that. There are so many different ways. And today is Mother's Day, the day when families pay a special tribute to their moms in, in various different ways. I mean, if this were a normal year, uh, we, would may, we may go to church together. Uh, after that, we may uh, go to dinner somewhere. We may take our mother to dinner or maybe even get, make dinner and take it over uh, to your mom's house to, to share some time, a meal and some time together. If, if this were normal, spend some time visiting. We buy them special gifts. Um, the sad thing is that at oftentimes Mother's Day is really just a day when families try to atone for an entire year of neglect and disrespect and lack of appreciation. Uh, and so we try to all make it up in, in one day. It shouldn't be that way, but so often it is. Mothers are special people. They're one of God's greatest gifts to us. And today we need to pause and thank God for our mothers. Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. He also said, I regard no man as poor who has a godly mother. And I was doing some research about uh, famous people and what they said about their moms. And, and I, was, uh, I wasn't uh, amazed, but I thought it was interesting that, that there are really, uh, there are some very poignant uh, intimate quotes by most people who served in the office of President of the United States about their moms. And you can see the impact that someone's mother had on their life. And you can see uh, how, how mothers uh, loved and encouraged and, and, and sometimes even pushed and prodded uh, their kids to become everything that they knew they could be. Everything they knew they had the potential. Mothers are a great uh, a great uh, uh, knowledge about the potential of their kids. And they want what's best for the kids, and they want God's best for their kids. And that's kind of what we looked at in the video. The, the Bible gives us so many wonderful, powerful examples uh, of mothers who, who, sacrificed, uh, who sacrificed themselves, who sacrificed their lives, who sacrificed their agendas uh, to, to raise kids who were who were uh, godly and went on to do tremendous things for the kingdom. And, and you can look at those folks, and we're going to look at those, one of those today in, in Timothy. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 1, that's where we're going to take a look today. There are so many mothers to choose from. I wanted to choose two today. Um, but if you have a godly mother, you have a very special gift from God, and I'm so thankful that, that I do. In honor of our mothers, I would like to share with you answers and I love these things. Answers that a second grade class gave when their teachers asked them about their mothers. And I'll give you the question and then just a couple of the answers. Uh, one of the questions was, why did God make mothers? One answer was, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. And the other answer is, mostly to clean the house. How did God make mothers? God made my mom just the same as he made me. He just used bigger parts. 
What's the ingredient? What ingredients are mothers made of? God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. <laughs> Why did God give, your, uh, give you your mother and not some other mom? And one, one uh, second grader said, God knew she likes me mo a lot more than other people's moms like me. <laughs> what kind of little girl was your mom? I don't know because I wasn't there, but I guess my guess would be pretty bossy. What did mom need to know about dad before she married him? And one, uh, one little person wrote, his last name. Did she know his background? Like, is he a crook? Does he make at least $800 a year? Did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? Today's the day for us to notice mom and all the things that she does for us. It's a, she's a special, special lady. All relationships from God are special, but no relationship is quite like mom's. I'd like us to take a look at a couple of mothers from Scripture who gave their children the greatest gift that they ever could give. I'm not talking about physical life, although that's pretty important if you think about it. No, I'm talking about two mothers who shared with their children their love for faith in Jesus Christ. Mothers who led their kids to Christ and who watched, I'm sure, with some satisfaction as they began their own walk with Jesus. I was looking at a friend of mine's uh, uh, posts on Facebook the other day, and, and she was talking about one of the most precious Mother's Day gifts that she could have is the knowledge that she will one day spend an eternity with her kids. And so I think that kind of encapsulates the mothers that we're talking about here. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 1. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. I'd like to talk this morning about two women. And their names are Lois and Eunice. And we don't know a lot about these two women. The Scripture doesn't go into great detail about these women, more, uh, less, uh, less about them than about other mothers that we could choose from. What we do know is contained in only a few verses in 2 Timothy and then Acts 16. That's the only references there are to these two women. We know that they were both Jewish. Uh, before they became Christians, they were both Jewish. We know that Eunice was married to an unbelieving Greek and had a son named Timothy. Lois was the first to become a believer and followed by her daughter Eunice. And it is Eunice that is Timothy's mother. Timothy, who is the, uh, the missionary, who is the pastor, who is the evangelist, who went on to, uh, to work alongside Paul and, and, and be called by Paul uh, his son in the ministry. Both of these were women of faith, Lois and Eunice. They were women of faith, faith that was genuine, faith that was communicated, and faith that was influential. Let's look at today's scripture passage together. 2 Timothy 5 verses, I mean, yeah, 2 Timothy 5 verses 1 through, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1 verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5 says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So what does this brief passage tell us about Timothy's mother and grandmother? Well, it tells us three things. First of all, they had a faith that was genuine. These women had a faith that was genuine. Look at verse 5 again. 
Paul writes, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. Paul says their faith was sincere. Other translations will say genuine, that their faith was genuine, or that their faith was unfeigned. It's a word that in Greek literally means without acting or without playing a part or without hypocrisy. It was genuine, authentic faith. It means that, that there was something genuine and unhypocritical uh, without pretense or deceit about the faith of these women. Their faith was the real deal. Their faith was the real deal. And it was evident in their lives and it was evident in the lives of the people they came in contact with and it was certainly evident in the life of Timothy. Genuine faith, faith that results in true salvation includes three things I'd like us to know. First of all, genuine faith, the first element is a firm persuasion or a firm conviction. These, these people who have genuine, authentic faith know their faith. Know their faith. They're confident in their faith. They're confident in the relationship that they have with their Savior. Second of all, it is a surrender to that truth. Not only do they have that faith, but they have surrendered their lives. They have surrendered their wills. They've surrendered their personal agendas. Everything about them, they have totally surrendered to God through their faith. It's a complete surrender to the truth of their of their genuine faith. And third, it is a conduct that emanates from that surrender. When you have surrendered your faith uh, to, to God in your faith, when you have surrendered completely and totally, it is evident in the way you live your life. We don't live that way to get saved. We live that way because we have been saved. We, we are sacrificial. Whether it's in the gift of our time or our resources or our talents, whatever it is, uh, our relationship with God calls us to be sacrificial in what we do. It calls us to be all in. We are 100% sold out to God. And what He is doing in our lives and what He's doing in the life of our church, what He is doing in the life of our community, and we want to be a part of that. We are, totally, uh, we are totally surrendered to that. That's the conduct I'm talking about, the deeds, what we do, what we do. Our work, our work, our service, our, our ministry, whatever it is, is a reflection of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And because of that, other people will see God in us and we can have the opportunity to bring them to the cross so that they can have that relationship as well. In some, faith shows itself genuine. By a life that is changed, a changed life. Is your life changed because of your relationship with, with Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. You cannot enter into a relationship with Jesus. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus and not leave that encounter a changed person. That's just how powerful Jesus is in our lives. You can't, you can't do that. So a changed life is, uh, is a prime example of genuine faith. John MacArthur, uh, pastor, speaker, uh, John MacArthur comments that faith like grace is not static. Saving faith is more than just understanding the facts and mentally acquiescing. It is inseparable from repentance, surrender, and a supernatural longing to obey. In Matthew 23, 
verses 27 and 28, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. One of the things that we need to make sure in our lives is that we're not whitewashed tombs too, isn't that right? To make sure that we are not uh, looking the part of being uh, a Christian on the outside, but on the inside, we're not living what we're showing. You know, one of the criticisms that people who are searching for meaning and purpose in their lives have when they look at the church, and, and they, the unfortunate thing is they use this as a generalization. But one of the things that they, that they notice is that a lot of people's lives don't match up to their, to their, their church speak. It's one thing on Sunday and another thing the other six days of the week. If we're going to have genuine faith, the faith like Lois and Eunice did, if we're going to have a faith that, that brings our children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, if we're going to have a faith that ministers to our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and the, and the folks that we teach in Sunday school or the, the folks that, that, that we do after school kids clubs with, if we're going to have... Uh, if we're going to have the, the witness and the testimony, the ministry that God wants us to have, we have got to be authentic because kids can tell a fake, adults can tell a fake. We've got to be who we say we are. And the lives of these two women teach us about the impact of a genuine, authentic faith. W.E. Vine, who wrote a spectacular uh, concordance and, and dictionary, explains that a hypocrite was a stage actor. It was a custom for Greek and Roman actors to speak in large masks with mechanical devices for augmenting the force of the voice. Basically, it was kind of nothing like the person who was doing the speaking. They held a mask in front of their face so they would look a certain way. They held a device over their, over their mouth to, to project their voice a certain way. So it really wasn't any part of the person who was the actor. The actor was pretending to be somebody else. Genuine faith does not pretend to be somebody else. Genuine faith is 100% authentic, it's accurate, it's sold out, and it reflects the activity of God in our hearts to those around us. People can tell. People can tell when your faith is real. I read a story one time about a kind of a, a rather pompous Sunday school teacher. Sometimes the story says deacon, but I'm not going to say that who was trying to impress upon a class of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And so this guy asked this question. He was telling them all these things. He asked this question, why do people call me a Christian? And there was silence for a little while. And then after a couple of seconds, one of the boys said, maybe it's because they don't know you. Well, that's kind of a tough piece of testimony, isn't it? According to verse 5, Lois and Eunice had a faith that dwelt. It took up residence. It made its home. He, he made his home. The Holy Spirit made his home in them. In other words, their faith had become a vital and an integral part of their lives. And it was evident to everyone who knew them. Who they were when they worshipped. Who they were 
when they talked about Jesus Christ, who they were when they raised their kids in their family situations, in their homes, who they were, that's who they were outside. My prayer is that that says the same thing for all of us. That who we are when we worship is who we are when we're out in the community. Who we are when we're serving others. Who we are when we're ministering to others. Who we are when people see us in the grocery store. Who we are when, 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 when people watch us when we get stuck behind somebody that's a slow driver. You ever thought about that? That'll tell you a lot. It says a lot about me, a lot of the work I need to do. But we need to be authentic. We need to be authentic. And these two ladies t- teach us so much about being authentic. In addition to genuine faith being obvious, it's also evident in our works. James writes, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. There's this song which says, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Jesus told us that. What we do, how we act, the things we do in service to others in Jesus' name, you think those things come from the strength of our faith. Those things come from the things that God has given us. The way God has has moved in our lives and the way God strengthens us and encourages us and gives us mission and focus in our lives, the things that He has done that way, those things are evident in the things that we do for others. And they come from the strength of our faith. So Lois and Eunice had a faith that was genuine. They also had a faith that was communicated. They had a faith that was communicated. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, You, however, continue in the things, Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Now, how did Timothy acquire this knowledge? Paul says that Timothy knew these things from from childhood. How did he get that knowledge? Certainly not from his father. Because we know that his father was a Greek and that he thought Christianity was foolishness. And he didn't get it from his school because he grew up in a town called Lystra, which is a, a, a city that was steeped in idolatry. So he certainly didn't go to the the local Christian school down there to get that information. No. His knowledge of the scriptures came from what he learned at home. From his mother. From his grandmother. The scriptures that he learned that would eventually lead to his relationship with Jesus Christ. That would, would eventually lead to his giving his life to Jesus Christ and surrendering himself to the full-time ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that came from his mother and his grandmother. I think we can be pretty confident in that. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Charles Spurgeon wrote how during his childhood, every Sunday evening, his mother would sit he and his uh, sister and his brothers down and, ex- and read and explain the scriptures to them. They would have a little family time that evening, on Sunday evening, and she would read the scriptures to them and explain it to them. And she would plead with them to think about the state of their souls. She would plead with them to think about seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. And he remembers her praying this one time. Now, Lord, if my children go, into, go on in their sins 
It will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. And he wrote, that thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. As followers of Christ, we're called to go into the world and make disciples, aren't we? We're called to, to share our faith with others, beginning in the home and then going out into the world with the message of Christ. And again, because people are watching. You're not going to be able to effectively share what Jesus has done in your life with someone outside if they can look inside our homes and not see one evidence of Jesus Christ. Thankfully for, for the church, thankfully for us, these two women, Lois and Eunice, had invested in Timothy. Invested in Timothy. And by doing that, they became an example for all of us. An example for every one of us. Paul wrote in Philemon 1.6, he says this, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Henry Morris, who wrote the, the book The Flight of Faith, writes, Faith which is genuine saving faith in Christ is not characterized simply by a single act of belief, but by a life lived in faith. Are we living a life of faith? Are we living a life that is genuine? Are we living a life that, that shows others the way to Jesus Christ? Are, are we living a life that is evidenced by the, the things that we do? It is evidence that Jesus lives in us and that we've been changed, we've been transformed. Do we do, we do that? 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3 tell us, we give thanks to God, Paul writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Our, our prayer should be that these things will be evident in our lives too. Our work of faith, our labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, that only comes from the faith that we have that is genuine. That only comes from the relationship that we have with our Savior. Genuine faith is faith that is communicated. We share it, not only in word, but in deed as well. Genuine faith both talks the talk and walks the walk. Somebody once said, faith is like calories. You cannot see them, but you can see their results. I thought that was kind of interesting. Lois and Eunice, two godly mothers, had faith that was genuine. They had faith that they communicated and third, they had faith that was influential. One blistering hot day when they had guests over for dinner, a mother asked her four-year-old son Johnny to return thanks as they were around the table. And the little boy said, I don't know what to say. And the mom just looked at him and said, just say what you hear me say. So the little boy very obediently bowed his head and he mumbled, Oh Lord, why did I invite these people over on a hot day like this? What we say and do has an influence on those around us, especially those who were around us 24-7. And that's a lot of people these days that we're around 24-7 with, with the 
quarantining that we're doing, with the social distancing that we're practicing, with, with trying to stay together in family units, we need to make sure that we remember that people are watching. And those start with the people in our homes. They're watching how we behave. They're watching the love for Christ we show. They're watching the lessons that we teach. They're listening to us. Moms, they're listening to you. They may not seem like it. But they are listening. Your kids are listening to you. Ladies who may not have kids of their own, but have the privilege of, of teaching kids, have the privilege of investing and pouring their lives into, into, into children. You may not think they're listening, but they're listening. They're listening. Timothy may have been led to faith by Paul, but it was his grandmother and mother who steered him to Jesus. As a pastor, I have rarely visited with a young person who has given their life to Christ who was making a profession of faith in Christ that wasn't first brought to that point by someone in their home. Oftentimes, it was their mother who spent time talking to them about Jesus, who spent time explaining the love of Jesus in their, in their lives, who spent time talking about giving their heart to Jesus. Before I ever got the telephone call to make an appointment to come see me or that I could go to their home and see them to visit with them about making a profession of faith, these young people had had someone in their lives pour into them. Somebody in their home has, had done that. Don't think for a minute that what you do at your house doesn't make a difference in the kingdom. Don't think for one minute. Remember 2 Timothy 1.5, which, which we began with, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. The godly influence and the sound training of these two women laid the foundation for Timothy's salvation through the implanting of the truths of Scripture, sowing the seeds of faith in his heart. In that way, every one of us should have a green thumb. We should be trying to sow the seeds of faith in those that are around us. Literally, Timothy's ministry is a witness. It's a testimony to the groundwork that was laid in his life by his mother and his grandmother. I really don't think any of us can say anything different. One day, four ministers stood talking, and as so often happens, the conversation drifted to shop talk. And one of the pastors says, I prefer the King James Version of Scripture. I prefer it for his, its eloquent use of the English language and for its accuracy. The second minister gave forth that no Bible could match the New American Standard for its faithfulness to the original Greek and Hebrew texts. That may well be, said the third pastor, but I, refer, I prefer the New International Version for its contemporary language and its readability and understandability. And there was kind of a thoughtful silence where everyone waited for the fourth pastor to chime in. And he finally said, I like my mother's translation the best. And it was kind of a surprise to the others. And, and they asked him, they said, we didn't know that your mother had ever translated the Bible. Yes, she did, he replied. She translated it into her daily life. And it was through her translation that I came to faith. Are you translating scripture 
in your daily life? Are you making the Scripture something that people can see and use and, and grasp? Are you making it evident to your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews and to your husband or your, uh, your parents? Are you making it evident to them about what the Scripture means to you, about what God's Word to us has done in your life, about how God speaks to us and, and teaches us and, and, and brings Himself to us closer and closer the more, we, the more we try and the more we study and the more we pray and the more we seek Him. Is that evidence of your motherhood? Kids, I'm going to ask you, is, have you looked to find that in your mom? Spurgeon wrote, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as pounds and his words as pence. If his life and his doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. That should be a sobering reality for us. It doesn't matter what we say if our lives don't reflect it. it. doesn't matter what we say if people can't look at us and see that it means something in our lives. What made Timothy the man that he became, I have no doubt, is the love of his family and the way his mother and grandmother shared the gospel with him. The way they brought him to know Jesus. Not through just sharing with him the scriptures. But by the life that they lived. The example that they made. I have little doubt that the good things that I have become have been because... My mother spent time teaching me. She spent time pushing me when I didn't want to go. She wanted me to be the very best that I could be. She wanted me to be the very best that God would have for me to be. And I'm blessed in that regard. I want us to see from the lives of these two women, Lois and Eunice, what can take place when you just lived your life. These people didn't know they were doing something special. They were just living their lives. They were just raising their family. They were just doing what mothers do. And it wasn't lost on a young boy who would grow up to become one of the leaders in the early church who would be a protege of Paul, the, probably the greatest Christian missionary that ever lived. He called him his son. That's how much he loved Timothy. He had faith in what Timothy could accomplish in the Holy Spirit. He had faith in what Timothy could do as a pastor, as a missionary, as a teacher. But it didn't, his, Timothy's life didn't begin there. His ministry may have begun there. 
But his life didn't begin there. His life began growing up with his family, his mother and his grandmother, telling him about Jesus. Showing him through their lives and their, their works and their ministry, wherever that was, who Jesus was to them. And encouraging him to take that step of faith as well. Mothers, on this special day, I, I will ask you, are you showing your family your faith? Are you showing your family your faith? Are you being a Lois and Eunice in an Ariana Grande and Cardi B world? There are a lot of people out there who the, the world calls influencers. People who tell you what to think and how to dress and they put it on Facebook and they, they, they tell you how to behave and they put it on Instagram or, or Snapchat or, or Twitter or whatever it, is, whatever it is you look at. There are people who are more than willing to step into the gap and take our young people and show them how the world says they ought to live. As moms and dads and particularly today as we think about moms and, and respect and honor them today. I would challenge moms to step back into the lives of their kids. To pour into them the love of Jesus Christ. To let your kids know that you love them and that there would be no greater Mother's Day gift than the knowledge that you're going to spend an eternity together with your mom. That's beautiful. It's powerful. It's meaningful. And it's the type of involvement that will lead to a revival in the church, a total restructure of, a, of family groups, units that have been splintered. If we sit, spend the time, moms, and, and you just have a special place, a special role in this you spend the time to let your kids know that your faith is important to you. That your faith is part of who you are. It's not something that you put on on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's something that you wear 24-7. And your faith informs how you deal with them, how you deal with your spouse, how you deal with, with whatever's going on in your life. It's all governed through the lens of your faith. And you let them see that in action. We can't help but be touched by that. We can't help but be moved by that. We stand ready to pray with our moms, to support them and to lift them up as they do that. But it's going to start in the home. It's going to start in the home. We can't rely on the church to raise our kids. We can't rely on the school to raise our kids. Showing people the love of Jesus begins in the home with moms like this, with moms like you. Father, I just thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you that in your sovereignty, in your perfect plan for your creation, God, you created the family. And God, you created that special relationship, that special bond that, that comes between a mom and her kids. God, I just, 
There's just there's something about that, Lord, that is untouchable by any other relationship. And Lord, I thank you that that was part of your design, your your divine design and purpose, Lord. And and I'm aware that not every mother has lived up to that. I'm aware that every person has had a different relationship with their mom. Lord, but I just thank you that your word shows us in so many different places what you had planned for us, what you had planned for the home, what you had planned for for kids and how to how to raise godly children. God, I, I just I thank you that your love for us has been from the foundation of the world and this was part of of your design for us. Father, another part of your design for us has been a a call to return to you in faith, to surrender our lives to you, to give our sins and our shortcomings to you, Father, so that you can wipe them away, to pick us up and, as Paul says, give us new clothes and put us on the right path. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in us and to teach us. God, everything you have done for us has been for our good, whether it feels like it at the time or or not. I thank you, Father, that you have placed parameters around us because you love us. You've given us a family unit that has expectations. You've given us a church life that has expectations and and understandings. You've given us a civic life that has expectations and understandings. Father, all under your authority. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for loving us enough to correct us. And Father, as we have worshipped today, I thank you for joining us. I thank you for speaking to us through your word and through song. I thank you for the gospel that teaches us. And I thank you for the cross that transforms us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.